I know every week I get excited about what I'm preaching. Praise God, right? I don't ever get up here and go, this is going to stink. I'm sorry you guys came. You know, but, but the truth is, this message today really kind of has a special place in my heart because it talks to us about a situation, about an incident that happened in the Old Testament. And it talks to us about how God uses change and transformation and crisis in our life to move us forward. And, and here's why I really want to preach this to you, share this with you guys today. And, and this is it. There is this misnomer, there's a misunderstanding in current Christianity that says, once I accept Jesus as my Savior, once I get saved, everything is going to be sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. That, that everything is going to be all right, which is true, but we think it's going to happen right now. And I am as guilty of that as anybody else. Now, I want you to understand something today. I understand that God's plan for us is overflow. God's plan for us is blessing. But I also understand that there are battles that we're going to be facing. And just because you got saved doesn't mean it's going to get easier. There are still battles. Jesus said it this way. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. In other words, you're going to face some giants, you're going to face some Jerichos, you're going to face the devil, there are going to be challenges that you're going to face. It doesn't mean everything's just going to be okay, sunshine and roses every day, there's going to be a battle. But, he said, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So there's going to be a battle, but if we're in him and he's in us, we will overcome the world. And I want you to understand it's so important for us to recognize as Christians. And here's the deal. I was surprised first service, and I probably will be surprised this service, of how impactful this message was. Because there are people in this room right now that you're obeying God, and you're facing some of the biggest challenges you've ever faced, and you're wondering what's going on. As a matter of fact, you're right now questioning in your life, your relationship with him. Some of you are going, did I even hear him right in the first place? Because this is hard. Okay? But here's the good news. He's overcome the world. He's aware of your situation. And what I want you to understand today, the big takeaway today is going to be, it's going to be all right. But that may mean you also have to fight. Okay? I've titled this message, mess, methods. No, 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 no. I've titled this message, Ready, Set, Shift, because shifting in our life is something that we have to understand that God is going to bring change. He's going to bring challenges. He's going to allow crisis to come into our life, but it has a purpose, and it's normal. It's not abnormal. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not abnormal. Look at your other neighbor said, he lied to you. He lied. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Here's what I want you to understand. Here's the story. And I'm going to go into more detail. I'm going to give you the 10,000-foot view. The Hebrew children, the Israelite people, had been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. They've been slaves for 400 years. God speaks to Moses through a burning bush and says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, the place you fled from. I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so through a, a 
Serious set of circumstances, Moses finally obeys God, leads the children of Israel out. They go through all these amazing miracles, which we don't have time to go through today, but they finally make this journey and come up to the edge of the promised land. There's the Jordan River, and across the Jordan River is the promised land. Now, this land had been promised to Abraham hundreds of years before, and they were literally finally standing at the border of the promise. Something happened though. Moses wanted to send out some spies to go out into the land and spy it out, take a look at everything. And and you need to read the story because it's really amazing. But he sends out 12 spies. The spies go into the land. Now remember, God had promised the people, said the promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it's an amazing place. It's going to be a huge blessing to you. As a matter of fact, there's going to be houses there that you're going to get that you didn't build. There's going to be farms there that are prepared for you that you didn't till. You're just going to walk in and you're going to be able to inherit this place. It's incredible. Well, the spies go out and they begin to spy the land out. Now, Moses said, pay particular attention to the people in the land, the, the the villages, look at the produce. They actually go into a vineyard. Some of the spies go into a vineyard. There's one bunch of grapes. How many of you like grapes? Yeah, come on. There's a bunch of grapes, one vine. They cut this vine off. It is so heavy, it takes two of them to carry it. They tie it to a pole. One dude at one end, one on the other, and they actually carry it back as an example of the produce in the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's just one example of the excess that God had promised them. And and so they, they bring this back, and they've spied the land out, but when they get back, their story is a little bit different than, than what most would anticipate. Because while there was a land flowing with milk and honey, there were also some huge walled cities and some people that were as big as the cities, it seemed like, to these guys. And so their message began to change. And I want you to understand today that in your life, either right now, either in your past or in your future are going to be challenges that come up and crossroads that come up and these crossroads and challenges will cause crisis everybody say crisis the word crisis is defined in the greek it actually is spelled with a k instead of a c so it's a very close spelling it means to shift or to sift And here's what sifting means. What what the people back in those days would do whenever they would harvest their crops, you remember they were an agrarian society, and so they would take their grain and they would pour it into these bins and then they would sift the wheat from from the chaff. And so there would be this breaking away of what was bad and what was left would be good, but the process caused friction. It was some shaking. It was uncomfortable for the wheat because there was a tearing there that separated what was good from what was bad. And when you look at the word crisis, that's what it means. When crisis come into your life, when crossroads come, when the Jordan River comes, and those challenges begin to come up against you, God is using those things to separate what's good from what's bad in your life. Amazingly, as I was looking this week, and I love doing these studies because it reveals things that I never knew, In the Chinese language, they actually have the word crisis. 
just like in Greek and, and like we do. But they actually use two symbols that represent the word crisis. And so one brush stroke represents one thing and one brush stroke represents the other. Here's what those two symbols represent. One brush stroke represents danger, but the other brush stroke represents opportunity. Crisis. There's danger, but there is also opportunity. So whenever you run into a situation in your life where there is a crisis, wherever you run into a crossroads, there's danger, there's risk, but there is also opportunity. And the question in these situations is, how do we obey God to be able to walk in the fullness of his promise? Today, what I'm going to talk to you guys about is the crisis that the Hebrew children ran into when they got the report back from the spies. When they got that report back. And there's going to be three different thoughts that I want to share with you about how God wants to use crisis and change to shift our thinking and move us into the promised land. Look at number one on your notes. Change, crisis, crossroads require a different way of thinking. They require us to think differently. There's a a brilliant uh, leadership guru guy. His name is Marshall Goldsmith, and he said these words. What got you here to where you are now won't get you to where you're going. What got you to this point won't necessarily get you to the next point. And you've got to understand the history. If you study the history of the, of the Hebrew children, they were griping, they were complaining. And, but part of that, and I'm not trying to make too many excuses for them, but I think we've got to be fair to them. They had lived in slavery for 400 years. All they knew was that kind of mindset. I mean, think about it. They grew up in, an, in a culture that said, this is when you get up in the morning. This is what you're going to do today. And this is what you're going to eat. This is when you're going to bed. And guess what? We're doing the same thing tomorrow. 400 years of that. That's 200 years longer than our country's even been around. These people had grown up conditioned to a certain way of thinking. And so when they left Egypt and they were free... They didn't know what to do with their freedom. Why? Because their mindset, their thinking was still back in Egypt. And so when they got out and they got hungry, they started calling out to God and they'd say, you brought us all the way out here for us to starve to death. Why were they feeling that way? Because somebody was feeding them every day and they didn't have to think outside the box. Well, God would answer their cry, and he would bring them food, or, or he would bring them water. Whatever was necessary, God was supplying their need. But they were constantly griping and complaining. Why? Because their mindset, their thinking, was the old way. So what got you here will not necessarily get you there. So the crossroad that they came to, the actual barrier that the Hebrew children came to, was not as much a physical barrier, that being the river, as it was a mental barrier, the way they thought. Their thinking had to change. Look at number two in your notes. Change requires us to shift our focus. Change requires us to shift our focus. We not only need to change our thinking, we need to change what we're looking at. 
We need to change what our minds are focused on or are concentrating on. Let's look at Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 28. Now, to set this up, the spies had gone into the land. Twelve of them came back. The twelve that went out came back. Here's what ten of them said. This is what they reported to Moses. We went to the land where you sent us, and it really is a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's some of the fruit. And they held up this gigantic, great branch thing, right? But. Everybody circle but on your notes. But. The people who live there are strong. And the cities have walls and are very large. And we even saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, I wanted to know who is Anak. And so I did a study. And here's who Anak was. Back before the fall, or back after the fall of man, before the flood came, the Bible tells us that angels came to earth and they had relationships with women. And during that period of time, some of the offspring, they were called Nephilim. They were half angel, half people, and some of them were giants. And these guys are going, hey, we're checking the land out. Fruit's awesome. Dudes are big. That's what they were saying. They said, hey, the fruit's big, <laughs> but the dudes are bigger. The guys that planted the fruit are big. They're, matter of fact, they're the descendants of Anak. They're, they're giant. They're literal giants. The Bible tells us that some of these, that uh, Goliath was a descendant of these people. To give it some context, this really happened. So these guys are huge. And they go on to say, if you continue to read the scripture there, they said, you know, we looked around, but here's what's amazing. The land, they actually say this, the land will devour us. The walled cities are too big. And they, they actually said this. They said, we looked at these guys, and we looked like grasshoppers in their sight. And it said this, and in our sight. They looked so big, we looked like grasshoppers, and that's kind of how we felt. So here's what happened. In this moment, what went on is their focus was, yeah, God said it's going to be awesome. It's a land flowing of milk and honey. But there's giants there, and there's big cities there. And guess what everybody focused on? They didn't focus on the fruit. They focused on the giants. And what the Bible tells us is that the word of what happened spread throughout the camp, and they started grumbling and complaining again. But there were two guys out of the 12 spies, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, that said, look, God has given this land into our hand. We can do this. Now, folks, I want to give you some perspective here. At this time, theologians tell us that there were about 2 million people in this Hebrew tribe. 2 million. Out of the 2 million people, only two thought they could do it. The Bible tells us that Moses and Aaron were scared because the people began to grumble, and so they gave in to their request, and they decided they weren't going into the promised land. I want to tell you how messed up this is because their focus was on the wrong thing. God had promised them that they would inherit the land. God told them that they would inherit the land, that all the enemies would fall. Every place they set their foot, they would own. But did they focus on God's word or what they saw? what they saw. 
And that's what they believed. And I want you to know the reason this is so relevant for us today is that's what many of us do. See, here's the truth, y'all. Here's the truth. The Bible tells us that God has a plan for each person. God has a Lisa plan. There's literally a plan for Lisa that he's created. And he said it's for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. But what can happen a lot of times is that we don't necessarily, and I'm not talking about it in Lisa's case, I'm talking about for many of us, is that we recognize, we believe that. Jesus died for us. We received that salvation. But all of a sudden, we start walking out these things in life, and you know what happens? Giants come up. Now we start seeing giants. And, and hey, I thought everything was going to be sunshine and roses, but wait a minute. They're, these dudes are nine foot tall, and I'm like a grasshopper. And instead of focusing on what God says of who we are, we focus on what we see or maybe what we've heard. Maybe you grew up in a, in a family that said you were never going to amount to anything and you believed it. That's a giant. Or, or maybe, you know, you're in an abusive relationship where you felt like you had no worth or no value and instead of believing who God says you are, you believe that report. Maybe somebody in the room right now is facing a sickness and a doctor said, if something doesn't happen, you're going to die. And instead of focusing on what God has said about you, you focus on the giant. See, this happens now just like it happened then. What are you focusing on? What do you believe? There's a reason every week I have us say, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. Do you believe what God says? Or do you do like these guys did here? I think it's so amazing. I didn't mention this first service. They said, hey, everything is like God promised, but. But. And then we begin to make excuses for why we can't follow what God's given us to do. Here's the end result for them. God said, okay. You know, I parted the Red Sea. I gave you the Ten Commandments. At nighttime, there's a cloud of fire, so you see my presence. In the daytime, there's a cloud, so you can follow it. You know, I fed you supernaturally. God had done all these miracles. He had shown his presence. It was there. You could see God's presence, physically see God's presence, and yet they still chose to believe the wrong things. And you know what? It is so easy for us to look at them and go, what a bunch of idiots. I mean, if I had seen God there all the time, I would have believed. You know what? Is that true? Some of you have seen God do amazing things, and yet sometimes you still struggle with where your focus is. If you look at Joshua chapter 2, when, jo when Moses died, Joshua took over. And he sent two spies. I love it. No more 12. We're sending two. <laughs> and these two spies came back and noticed the difference in their response. This is what they said. The Lord has given us the whole land for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Were there still giants? Yes. Were the walled cities still there? 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, as they get ready to cross, the first thing they run into is Jericho. Nothing had changed in the natural, only the supernatural, only what their focus was on. Hey, the Lord said, and so we're going to believe that. That was the only difference. But here's the problem. Two million people, right? Less two. Every single one of them had to die. And the next generation had to come forward to, to take them across. Why? They're, in, they're thinking they were so ingrained on what they thought and what they focused on that they couldn't move into what God had called them to do. That's why this is a big deal. Because folks, listen to me. You can say the right things, but you've got to believe the right things. And you've got to believe what God says and not what everybody else says. What is the truth? What is the truth? What is your focus? Speaking of focus, there's this really funny story. There's a little girl, she's about five, six years old, and, and she was out at her grandpa's ranch. And her grandpa had horses and cows, but he had a corral where he kept all the horses. Well, he'd let the horses out, and one day he was out looking for her. His granddaughter couldn't find her, walked around, and there she is out in the middle of the corral. Well, there's a produce that horses create. It's called horse poop. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We call them hay burners. <laughs> and so this corral is full of horse poop. No horses, horse poop. And so the little girl's out there on her hands and knees digging through horse poop. He says, sweetheart, what are you doing? She says, oh, Grandpa, I saw this horse poop, and I'm digging in here because there's a pony in here somewhere. here's the point what was she focusing on she wasn't focusing on the poop she was focusing on the fact that there had to be a horse that created that and that horse is mine but see it's very clear about focus isn't it so many times in life instead of focusing on what God says we focus on the poop amen and we don't believe God. And I want to tell you, it makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. Here's the truth. The fruit is big, they said in Deuteronomy. The fruit is big, but the giants are bigger and we're grasshoppers. But in Joshua, they said the giants are big, but the fruit is bigger. God's bigger. So we're going to believe God. Here's number three. Change requires action. Real change requires action. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is huge, y'all. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, My servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people. The Israelites across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Circle that. I promised you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to Lebanon regions in the north. From the, Mount, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Including all the, uh, the land of the Hittites. Verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. 
for I will be with you as I was with Moses. Circle that. I will not fail you or abandon you. There's a lot of neat things about what God says right here, but I want to focus on a point. So here's the question. Notice what he says. Notice what he says. This is God talking. Verse 3, I promise you what I promised to Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you'll be on land that I've given you. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with who? Okay? The promise is the same. Two million people died without receiving God's promise because they didn't believe. And their disbelief was so ingrained in their head that they literally, their thinking had to die off, their focus had to die off, and they physically had to die because they rebelled against God. And so God speaks to Joshua. And by the way, Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of that entire generation, out of that entire two million people, they were the only two that got to go forward with everybody else. They were the only two. And so the Lord speaks to Joshua, chapter 1, and says, Moses is dead, but the promise is the same. You know, I want to give you a warning. It's really a warning for all of us. God has a plan for you in your life, and God has things he wants you to do. But if you say no long enough, sooner or later, he's going to have to switch over to somebody else. Say that again. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. But if you continue to say no and you rebel against him, he's gonna fulfill his plan because remember, the whole plan was about the salvation of all those people. It was about me and you. And I, I can hear God saying, I'm gonna paraphrase here, but I think you'll understand the truth. God's saying, I need to reach these people. I need to save these people, and I want you to cooperate with me. I need your help. I don't need you, but I want your help. But if you say no long enough, eventually he's going to get somebody that will say yes. I don't ever want to be that person. That's just me. Think about it for a second. God loves us, and he wants to reach people, and Moses acts as an archetype of who Jesus is in the New Testament to lead the people to freedom. Jesus said, I come to set the captives free, right? To heal the brokenhearted. And then God reaches out to us and, and we receive that salvation and then God says, I have a plan for your life. But if we continually rebel against him, you can literally go through your entire life after you get saved. I'm not talking about before. I'm talking about after you get saved and not fulfill what God is calling you to do. And eventually God will call somebody else because he loves his people too much. Let me just give you a clue. If our church decides to say no to God, he'll find somebody else. Why? Because he loves his kids. I don't want to be that. 
And God is patient, the Bible tells us, not wanting anyone to be lost. That's why he's so patient with us. But there comes a point where if we continue to rebel, that eventually we're going we're gonna to be in big trouble. Let's not try to find out where that line is. Because sometimes it's not as visible as the Jordan River. But we say no, 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 no. And ultimately we end up in destruction. That's why I use the bucket. It's so clear to me, these holes. These holes. And God begins to show us areas in our life where there are holes. And he says, look, I'll help you. We'll patch the holes up. We'll we'll increase your capacity. I know you want to overflow. That's my plan for your life, that you overflow. But you've got some holes. And for the Israelites, the holes were (laughs) giants. Do you believe God? Or do you not want to change? Listen, folks. Nothing changes until someone does something. Nothing changes in our lives until someone does something, and that someone is you. You can't wait on someone else to change you. You have to choose to cooperate with God and begin to work with him. Listen, Jesus died for you. God has made all this provision for you in your life to help you patch up the holes, but you have to choose to allow him to do that. Don't waste your life (laughs) with all that is in me. Don't waste your life. Don't look back one of these days and say, I wish I would have patched the hole. What would have happened if I would have patched the hole? How would my family be different if I patched the hole? How would my community be different if I would have patched the hole? But you know what? Because of fear or disobedience or whatever else, I chose not to patch the hole. Patch the hole. And God's going, the promised land's right there. They're looking at the promised land. But they, all they saw were giants. Don't. There's so much potential in here. There's so much potential in here, regardless of your age. I don't care if you're 10 or if you're 100. God is not done with you yet, and he's still looking for people. Don't allow these holes to define you. Don't allow your capacity to be defined by these weaknesses and these holes in your life. Partner with God. Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. Y'all, listen, there's a reason in my mind that Jesus was a carpenter. He fixes stuff. Do you get it? He builds things. He takes broken things and fixes them and makes them better. And that's you. And we sit as a people that have so much potential. So much potential. Let's say, let's say yes. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, this is what Joshua said to the people. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord's going to do some amazing things among you. And here's what happened. 
The Jordan River at this time of year was at flood stage. How many of you have ever seen the Spring River at flood stage? Who wants to go swimming in that, right? Nobody. There's trees, houses, four-wheelers, the occasional cow. I mean, you know, <laughs> I didn't say your neighbor because that's just weird. So. But, but it's at flood stage. And they're going, um, Josh, man, uh, flood stage. Josh said, no, 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 consecrate yourselves. That word consecrate means to set yourself aside for holy use. Give your heart to God. Here I am. And so here's what happened. You remember when they left Egypt, Moses held up his rod and the sea parted, right? God parted the sea. Well, this time it's going to be a little bit different. Because here's what they did. They had the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the Ten Commandments were. And, and the Lord told them what to do. So here's what happened. The, the priest grabbed the Ark of the Covenant, and they began to walk towards the river. And Joshua said, nobody goes before the Ark. The Ark's going to go first. We're going to all stand back here. And the priests are going to go down, and they're going to walk up. And when they step into the river, it's going to stop flowing. And then we're going to cross on dry land. Now, this is just a criticism, not a criticism, a criticism. At the Red Sea, they all stood back, Moses did his deal, and then they crossed, right? How'd you like to be priest number one? <laughs> That'd be me, right? You know, so Joshua goes, here's the plan. Y'all are going to grab it, you're going to go, and they're going, dude, flood stage. And he's like, yeah, I know, but when you step in the water, it's going to stop. They're like, why can't you do the whole stick thing and then, you know. But you remember what I said? Change requires action. See, the old bunch that had to die off sat back and waited for God to do everything. The new bunch, God's changed their thinking. And now he's saying, step in there and then I'll do it. And the Bible tells us that when the first priest put his foot in the water, at flood stage, the Jordan River stopped upstream, stopped. And that entire millions of people crossed on dry land. And the priest said, whew. I'm gonna close here. You know, I started off saying to you that as you become a Christian, as you as you begin to walk in the fullness of who God has created you to be, that doesn't mean you're not going to encounter resistance. There are, guess what? There were still giants, and there was still Jericho, but God gave them the land, and they defeated their enemies one by one by being obedient to God, and he did miracles. And they were able to take over this land and be, were able to inherit farms and land that they didn't build or create. And God fulfilled all the promises. It truly was a land of milk and honey. But let's not be like the first group that says, hey, God, this is a land of milk and honey, but hey, I'm lactose intolerant. And hey, honey, there's bees. No, let's trust God. And I want you to examine your heart today and see where you are. For some of you, 
Are you trusting God or not? And the battle that you're facing right now, it's not that God doesn't love you. He does love you. He just wants you to trust him some more. And you're going to beat the giants. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, what a warning that we can see today in your word of, a, of an entire generation, two million people. Two million that chose not to trust you. And because of their disbelief, because of their rebellion, they did not enter into the promised land. And I know, Lord, for some of us, our thinking needs to change. For some of us, our thinking needs to die. We need to learn to trust you and not just what we see. And Father, these words today are not about condemnation at all. This is a wake-up call for some of us. There are people here, Lord, that are fighting battles. Some of them thought they heard from you and now they're facing battles and they're wondering, they're questioning their faith and everything else. But the truth is, they're facing these battles because you told them there was gonna be battles. But your promise has stayed the same. I pray, Lord, today that you're speaking to their hearts. Father, for those that will be coming to battles, maybe they realize they're beginning to walk towards their promised land, but, but they're seeing giants. And they're starting to question whether or not they can do what you've called them to do. But Lord, your strength and your calling are irrevocable. Your strength is enough. And if we'll trust you, if we'll trust you, we'll beat the giants. So if you're here today, and maybe you're one of those people that there's some giants in your, in your life right now that you're battling and you're not sure how you're going to beat them, but you're facing some giants right now, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Right now, I am facing giants. I see your hands. Amen. 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 You can put your hands down. Or maybe you're here today and you realize in your life that some of these things you're, you're fighting, you, you're wanting to quit. There's some of you that are dealing with some things right now that have made you question your faith and you're actually wanting to quit. But here's the deal. God is allowing some of these things to happen so that you'll draw close to him because he loves you that much. There's a, maybe another set of people that are here that you don't really have a relationship with God. But you realize today that, that his truth is real, that he loves you. But today you want to make that decision to follow him. You want to give your life to Christ. If that's you today, just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Amen. Yeah. Let's all stand this morning. There are a number of people in here that raise their hand talking about some challenges they're facing. And I bet there's probably twice that many. They didn't raise their hands. So you guys do me a favor. I want you to grab your neighbor's hand this morning. And let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, I know that you love me. You said that you came 
to set the captives free. You said, in the world, we're gonna have tribulation. But be of good cheer. You have overcome the world. So Lord, we're asking you today to intercede for us. Fill us, work through us, and help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. And folks, that's the word for you today. Stop focusing on your giants and start focusing on what God said. You are who he says you are. And you can do what he said you can do. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray over the meal. Y'all don't wait on me. Now listen, I say that because I know you won't anyway. It just makes me feel better. But I am going to pray over the meal. You guys go back there and, and uh, enjoy the food. Make sure, remember, all donations are going towards the Youth for Fine Arts. Guys, make sure you're here on Wednesday night. You guys are missing some good teaching if you haven't been coming. I want to encourage you to come, okay? Father, I pray you'd bless this food today. Bless our time together. Lord, those that are leaving, bless them. Father, those that are traveling back from spring break, we pray that you'd bring them home to us safely. Father, we just thank you for loving us and caring about us. Lord, we are your hands and feet. Help us to remember that that when we leave this place, there's a world that's full of darkness that needs your light. And help us to shine for you and point people to you. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. And enjoy the meal today.